when I first graduated from Divinity School where I was studying to be a pastor, uh, I was assigned after I was ordained to a small church in rural Caldwell County here in North Carolina. I was excited to, to be assigned there to go and meet my new congregation and to begin to do the work that I've been preparing so long to do and couldn't wait to get started. And at the same time, I was a little nervous, uh, not sure that I was ready for everything. There's so much life experience that I have not lived. I was in my mid-20s and there were going to be people in the church who had lived a lot longer than me and had children and grandchildren and gone through so many things. And I'm just wondering, how can I advise them about anything? And so I, I was excited and I was also nervous and uh, but here I was, right? This is what God called me to do. So I went into that church, and it was amazing. They loved me and just did all these things to welcome me, and we began to get to know each other, and I, I tried to love them the best that I could and, and be a good pastor to them. And uh, pretty soon once I got there, there was a woman named Helen. Uh, she and her husband lived across the street from the church, and they were a great family, been there a long time, and she was in her late 70s, and she was dying of cancer. And pretty soon after I was there, they called hospice in, and they were preparing for her life to end. And so it was my job as her pastor to come and comfort her and minister to the family, to her husband. And they had a lot of grown adult children, had a lot of grandchildren who were adults and great-grandchildren, so just this big family. And I was humbled to be a part of that process, and I was also scared to death because I'd never walked through the, the death process with anybody. And so... I wasn't quite sure how to do that, and pretty soon I, f I figured out that I was in water that was way over my head, water way over my head. Some of the, the kids and the grandkids would ask me, you know, they'd call me aside, Pastor Kyle, you know, like, why is my grandmother dying, and why doesn't God heal her, and, and you know, what, what's going on with that? And the husband would ask me the same thing, and so, I mean, that's a tough question, like, you know, what would you say to someone like that? And then Helen's suffering got pretty bad there near the end, and one time I was, I was visiting with her in her living room, and I'd gone to pray with her, and she literally grabbed me by my shirt and pulled me within inches of her face, and she said, Pastor Kyle, why won't God take me? I'm ready to go, and yet here I am, and I'm hurting, and I'm suffering, and why won't God take me? And so, I mean, I just, what do you say like that? What would, what would you say, right? Why is my... My mom's sick. Why is she hurting? Why won't God heal her? Why won't God take her? Right? These questions just coming at me. I'm like, whoa, like, you know, what am I going to do? What, what would you do in that situation? I felt way in over my head. But fortunately, I wasn't by myself. Fortunately, I had a group around me to support me of other clergy who I could rely on, who'd been through these things, and I, I, could, I could talk to them. I remember my dad's words saying to me when I first went to the church, he's like, Kyle, what you say to people is important, and they will remember that. But probably what's more important is how you treat them, how you love them, how your actions reflect God. And so always just try to show people that you love them. Be present with them. That's what is so important. And so I remembered that. And I, when I didn't have the words, I think it helped that I was just there in person and we could sit together. And I was so grateful to my dad for giving me that advice. Um, and then I had some other pastors who I had studied with, uh, either interned with, or they were my teachers. And I, I remembered some of their wisdom. And, and some of it was always tell the truth, even if that, that truth is challenging. You know, some of the family was like, why is God doing this to my mom? Why is God doing this to my grandmother? And I, I didn't think God was doing this to her. She was a lifelong smoker. And she was dying of lung cancer, and, and she's dying because she made a decision to, to do that with her body. And, and so I just, in a loving way, tried to have conversations with the children and the grandchildren. Just said, let's think about this. You know, why is she dying? Why is she suffering in this way? It's because God gives us a freedom to choose, and this is, this is hard, and, and, and none of us likes this. But I don't think God is wishing some plague upon you. And, 
that wasn't easy to do. It wasn't easy to hear, but it also helped them not be mad at God. And so we had a chance to kind of walk through that. And then um, I had other advice, just, you know, when you don't know an answer, don't pretend like you do. Don't make up something to look like you're smarter than you are. So when Helen grabbed me and she pulled me and I was inches away from her face and she's asking me, why won't God take me? All I could say was the honest truth. I don't know, Helen. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you're hurting, but I do know that God loves you and that God is with you now and that I love you and your family's with you and you're not going to be by yourself and hospice is going to make you feel as comfortable as you can. And so we wrestled with that together um, and she died eventually. And it was a hard process, but it, it was a beautiful way that God worked together with that family. And we finally figured out why she was hanging on for so long. She had a grandson who was kind of estranged from the family and he hadn't been around and he heard that his grandma was sick and dying and so he finally kind of like swallowed his pride and he came back to see her and, and as soon as she met with him, she released it. She let it go and she died. She needed to see him before she died and no one knew that, not even her. Uh, and so the Holy Spirit walked us through that. There's no way that I could have gone through that circumstance, that situation without help from my dad, without help from other pastors, without God and the Holy Spirit giving me words when I didn't have words. And so I am glad that I was not on that journey by myself. And I was glad that I had someone to mentor me. I had people that had wisdom who'd been there and, and been through a similar process and could advise me. And so today what I would invite you to think about in your life, when you face difficult circumstances or you find yourself in an uncertain situation and you don't know how to act in that, who are the people that you turn to? Who are the people that God has placed in your life to encourage you? to speak into your life, to pour themselves into your life, to advise you and to be a friend and an encourager and, and someone that you can turn to. In your life, in those difficult circumstances or where you have questions, who is it that God has placed into your life to help you through that and to navigate you through that? Because I don't think that God wants us to go through life alone. I don't think that God wants us to go through the journey by ourselves. Who is with you when you need them the most? Well, today we're going to jump back into the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus. We, we met Mary a couple of weeks ago when she's 13 years old and the angel Gabriel comes to her and says that God wants you to carry the son of, of God, Jesus. Will you be open to doing that? And we see that Mary immediately says, right, in these crazy circumstances, yes, I will do that. I am the Lord's servant. I will serve according to your will. And we talked about what a blessing that must be like to be the mother of Jesus and, and for God to have handpicked you to be that mother of Jesus and how, what a wonderful, amazing thing that was. And the angel said, you are blessed. He said it more than once. But also the, the stress that must have caused Mary, right? She's engaged with Joseph. They're, they're kind of fully married, but they haven't had the ceremony yet. And so they haven't come together as husband and wife. And is he going to believe her that she's pregnant from the Holy Spirit rather than some other guy? And so could Joseph, like, you know, in the relationship, there's a good chance that he would, right? The, in that day, too, if you were pregnant and you weren't married, you could be killed, right? It was, you could be lined up and have people throw rocks at you, and, and, and you could die for that. So that was a risk of her life. She could die and in childbirth, right? It's first century. They didn't have a lot of hospitals like they have today. And so people, it's not uncommon for them to die. So like there's a blessing on one hand and there's all this, this stress on the other. We, we kind of talked about that last week. Pastor Scott talked about that as quiet desperation, that Mary must have had some desperation inside of her, right? She got this good, you got this, this struggle. And so 
who does Mary turn to when she's going through this? Hopefully she went to her parents and said, hey, this is what's happening, and hopefully they believed her. We don't know. It doesn't say what she did. But this is what the Bible says that happens to Mary next. Let's jump into Luke's gospel, chapter 1, verse 39 through 40. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, right? So it said that Mary got ready and she hurried away, right? Remember Joseph, we met him last week. He, he lives in a different town and there's, there's no texting, right? Hey, Joseph, we need to talk or there's no Snapchat. There's no Twitter. Hey, you know, sending a message. I, I'm in some trouble here, right? She, she can't turn to Joseph. He lives somewhere else. And so she begins to go on a journey, right, to see a man named Zechariah and a woman named Elizabeth. They're a married couple, and Elizabeth is Mary's cousin, and she's older than Mary. She's, she's beyond the age of having children, so she's a, an older woman in the culture at the time. She's not been able to have a child. She and Zechariah tried forever. They couldn't do it, but God has just blessed them as well. Zechariah and Elizabeth have come together, and God has used that to, to allow her to become pregnant in her whole age. And, and she's carrying the cousin of Jesus, John, who they're going to call John the Baptist. He baptizes people, kind of like what we just did up here a minute ago, as people give their lives to Christ. And he is, his mission will be to prepare the, the people of Israel for Jesus to come and to do ministry. Right? And so Elizabeth is now pregnant through some supernatural help. It's a little different than Mary, but... I'm thinking Mary's thinking, who in the world could best relate to me? Right? Probably my cousin Elizabeth. She's pregnant in her old age. The angel Gabriel just told me in person that, that God helped make that possible. I'm now pregnant, right? The Holy Spirit, right? She's probably my best shot of anyone understanding what's going on in my life. And so Mary goes. And she goes on this journey. It's about 80 miles away. It's about a nine-day trip by foot. She's probably traveling alone, traveling with some other people. She's walking. It's going to be closer to Bethlehem where, where um, uh, her husband Joseph's going to be. It's closer to the city of Jerusalem, the capital. And she's making this trek. And she goes to a town, right, called En Karim. There's a picture of a church that's built there where we believe that Mary lived with Elizabeth and Zechariah for a few months when she, lived, when she went to that village, right? So Mary makes this journey to be with her cousin, who really she's looking for some help and support, a mentor. So let's see what happens when she gets to see Elizabeth. And by the way, again, she's a nine-day journey. I'm sure she's had a lot of thoughts in her head. Have I gotten in over my head? Did I make the right choice or not? I'm sure she's struggling with a lot of those things that we talked about. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, Mary must come into the house, hey, I'm here, uh, the baby, right, John, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Upon hearing Mary's voice, the, the baby that Elizabeth is carrying, John, Jesus' cousin-to-be, maybe recognizes Jesus through some supernatural thing. There's something cool going on, and so the baby's moving. Something, something's happening here, and it says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, today we know that we experience God as God the Father. We know God the Son, Jesus, and we know the Holy Spirit. We believe the Holy Spirit's in all of us. But in these days, right, people weren't sure that the Holy Spirit was with everybody. Usually when you talk about the Holy Spirit, is with somebody who was special, like a prophet, someone who spoke for God. God said, I want you to go and give a message to so-and-so. Or sometimes kings were said to be full of the Holy Spirit. So, But now, just this woman, Elizabeth, her husband's a priest. She's a wife of a priest. She is filled with the Holy Spirit. Right, so something going on here with these ladies, Elizabeth and Mary, chosen by God. Let's see what happens next. Right. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, 
and blessed is uh, the child that you will bear. Mary, this is great. What's happened to you is amazing, right? Mary's probably bringing a lot of baggage. She's worried and all the negative stuff going on in her mind for the past nine days. But Elizabeth sees it absolutely just solidly with rose-colored glasses. This is a good thing. You're blessed by God. You're carrying the child of God, Mary. This is something worth celebrating. Be happy. Be blessed. God has blessed you. This is good stuff. Don't worry about all that negative stuff that's probably going on in your mind. Right? Let's keep going. But why, Elizabeth says, am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? I know you're my cousin, but why did God send you to me? You're carrying the Lord in your womb, like, why do I get to be around you? And, and notice something here. Elizabeth is the first person in history to call Jesus Lord. Right? She calls him Lord, even before he's born, right? because she's been given some kind of a clue by the Holy Spirit that this is a special, special pregnancy. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The first confession of Jesus in the Bible. All right, let's keep going. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. She thinks that it has something to do, not that John didn't like what she ate for dinner, right, the other day. Like, this is something special going on is why he's moving around in the womb there, right? Let's keep moving. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promise to her. Mary, you are blessed. You believe, Gabriel, right? There's a lot of other baggage going on, I'm sure, but you believe that God chose you to carry the son, right? Jesus, right? And you're blessed because of that, right? So Mary, on this nine-day journey, probably thinking good stuff, probably thinking bad stuff, probably worried about desperation, you know, could I be killed? Is Joseph going to leave me? Am I going to die in childbirth? Like all that stress. Elizabeth said, put that away. This is a good thing. You're going to be the mother of Jesus, right? You're blessed. It's awesome. And so how's Mary going to respond to that? Here's some homework for you. I want you to go home today and read the rest of Luke chapter 1. It's not a lot, right? But we're going to see Mary's response. And for the first time since Gabriel showed up, we finally see some emotion from Mary, and it's pure joy. And she talks about how she's glad that she's been selected and all this stuff. It's just this beautiful, beautiful thing about Mary talking about her son to be born, right? It's just check it out. Homework, Luke chapter 1, finish the rest of that. We're going to see the joy of Mary. But here's a point that I don't want us to miss, okay? This is what I think is happening here between Elizabeth and Mary. Mary needed someone who could help her gain perspective on what she was facing, right? I'm pregnant by God. What in the world? How do I deal with that, right? She needed someone who would listen to and believe in her. She needed someone to listen to and believe in her. You got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. You're right, whatever. Someone who would encourage her. That is why Mary has been put together with Elizabeth. Now, I want to leave this up here because I think it's still relevant today, not just 2,000 years ago. And instead of Mary, I want you to put your name right here, okay? And think about your life right now. You need someone who can help you gain perspective on what you're facing right now. What are you facing in your life right now? What's the good stuff? What's the hard stuff? What are you facing right now? You need someone who can help you gain perspective on that. Who do you go to? Who do you go to, right? Someone, right, who would listen to you, right? You need someone to listen to you. You need someone to believe in you. You need someone to listen to you, and you need someone to believe in you. Who is that? Who do you turn to? Who has God placed 
in your life. Maybe you know it, and maybe you need to ask God to open those eyes to see who he's placed in your life, right? You need someone to encourage you. So I guess what I'm asking you is, who is your Elizabeth in life? Who is your Elizabeth in life? And hopefully you have more than one. Hopefully you have Elizabeths, right? Who are those people that encourage you, who listen to you, who believe you, who love you, who are not judging you, who who can even tell you the truth, right? Who are the Elizabeths in your life? Had a guy come through the line and shake my hand after the first service, and he said, I've got my Elizabeth. It's my wife. Her name's Elizabeth. <laughs> so, but she really is there for him. So that's, that's cool and powerful. Who are the Elizabeths in your life? Who has God placed in your life? Be grateful for that person. Be grateful for those people. Embrace those people. Thank them. Pray. Thank you, God. Thank the person. Let them know how much you love and appreciate you. We need people like this in our lives. Um, I think about my own life and about the people that have mentored me, my parents, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law who are here today, my teachers, um, the people that led my youth group, like Miss Bryson was my Sunday school teacher with my mom. Uh, Pete Banier was my youth director. Dan Dominic, you guys don't know these people, but, but they're my Chris and Nikki Bedell, right? They, they formed me, my, my teachers at school, my teachers in seminary, uh, neighbors who invested in me, friends, other pastors, right? I'm grateful for people, and I'm grateful that I didn't have to go through life by myself, that I don't go through life by myself. Who are the Elizabeths in your life? Now, when we're thinking about mentors and stuff, there's, this, is, this is how not to do it. Let me show you this quote. Your advice is very important to me, so I wrote down exactly what I want you to say. You ever do that with somebody? You might not say it out loud, but, but you think that, right? Your advice is very important to me, so I wrote down exactly what I want you to say. Believe it or not, this happens to me with my relationship with my wife, Laura. Uh, I'll walk in and say, I think I want to wear this to church today. What do you think about that? She says, I don't think you should wear that. I think you should wear this. And I'm like, but I want to wear that. But why did you ask me, right? She's like, don't wear that, wear this, right? And so she dressed me today. So if you like this, it's all because of her. I don't normally dress in a tie and suit in this service. Just my kid, right, getting baptized, all that kind of stuff. I did that today, right? Mentors also tell us what we need to hear. And they can do it in a loving way. And so we need to be open to that. And I am so excited about these students that you saw up here on this stage, right, today because they're not here by themselves. They're not professing their faith in Jesus by themselves. They're not remembering their baptism by themselves. They are surrounded by people who love them, their parents and their grandparents and their aunts and their uncles and their brothers and sisters and, and their neighbors and their teachers and their coaches. And, I mean, you saw our entourage. We have grandparents and we have friends who live in our neighborhood. We have a coach who teaches Luke about basketball but also about life. Right? We have Al Frazier from our church who, who, who teaches him about Jesus, who was his mentor. We've got Chris and Nikki. I'm so grateful to you guys for pouring into our children. And I'm grateful for Jenny McEwen and all who teach in our Explorers ministry and our student ministry here we love and invest in young people. And I'm grateful to all of you as a church, right? So many of you are my mentors, and I come to you for advice, and you've been gracious, and, and you've been forgiving of me when I do things that are boneheaded and stupid as your pastor. And so I'm just so glad to be on this journey with you. Who are your Elizabeths in your life? Give God thanks and praise for them. Give God thanks and praise. And always remember that our best mentor. Our greatest mentor is Jesus himself. 
that no matter where we are in life, no matter what we're going through, if we can't get a physical contact with somebody or a phone contact, that Jesus is there and he is ready to hear from us and he loves us and he encourages us and he supports us. So always remember, especially young people, confirmands that Jesus is the best mentor you can ever have. Now, on the other side of that, not just who is your Elizabeth, who's your Mary? Who has God placed you around to pour out yourself into them? Who in your life needs some encouragement? Who in your life needs to be believed in? Who in your life needs to hear a good word? Who in your life needs to hear the truth? Who are the Marys in your life? Who has God put in your life that you can love, that you can encourage, that you can be there for, that you can comfort, right? That, that you can support. Who are the Marys in your life? Who are you pouring yourself into? Who are you pouring yourself into, right? Because we certainly want to have people pouring into our, our lives, but we also are called to pour ourselves into other lives. You have something to offer people in your life that no one else can do. You're something special about you that you can offer to someone else, Please take advantage of that and give what you have to someone else who can use that. If you don't know who your Marys are, pray about it. Think about it, right? It may be students and children. It may be adults in your life, right? We all need Elizabeths. We all need Marys in our life because we're not meant to go on the journey alone. God gives us these gifts of Elizabeths. God gives us these gifts of Mary. So what? What's the point today? What's the big idea? This is what I think God's saying to us. The journey is not just where you go. It's who you travel with. The journey is not just where you go. That's important. We've talked about that, right? Where God is leading you, right? But it's also about who you travel with, right? So the journey is not just about where you go. It's about who you travel with. Who are you traveling your journey in life with? Who are those people? Right, who are the Elizabeth? Who are the Marys? Right? And so more homework, right? Here's an action step I invite you to take this week is to write down who is your Elizabeth? Who is your Mary? We've talked a lot about it, right? Write it down, right? Call them up. Thank them. Take them out to eat, right? Let them know. Thank you for being my Elizabeth. Right? If you don't have Elizabeth, look for one. Pray for one. If you don't have a Mary, look for one. Pray for one. Someone needs you, right? This is an actionable thing that you can take away from this scripture God has someone to help you, and God has you to help someone, right? Who are the Marys? Who are the Elizabeths that you can mentor? Today, Chris and Melissa did a great job talking about our Christmas Eve offering. Every year, we have a tradition at our church that we want to give Jesus a birthday present. Because what is Christmas? It's Jesus' birthday, right? So if, if it's Jesus' birthday, why do we get all the gifts, right? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with getting gifts or giving gifts. Absolutely do that. Right? But we also want to honor God because it's his birthday, Jesus' birthday. Right? So what do you give Jesus who has everything? Like you, you know, Buying for somebody who has everything is hard to do. Right? So right? we give Jesus a, money, a monetary offering, and we, we take it up at Christmas, Christmas Eve, and we give 100% of it away. And we, we, every year we pick two ministries that we pray about, and we split it in half. And we, we give 50% and 50%. We've talked about New Story Church. Pastor Scott was with us last week. This is a church in Winston-Salem that's made up of people who are homeless and are battling addictions to alcohol and drugs. 
uh, and they don't have any money, and so they're, they're relying upon other churches. And, and Pastor Scott came in and talked about how we help clothe people who are homeless, about how we feed people who are homeless. We started helped them start a second campus because their ministry was growing so much. We helped them begin to have a medical clinic and a dental clinic, and he thanked us, and, and he's grateful that we're, we're going to honor him again in his church this year. Well, today I'm excited to talk to you about our second recipient who really is, is a mentor, right? It's a, it's a group of Elizabeths, okay? Uh, and it's called, right, the Refugee Support Services. It's here in Charlotte, right? And it's a group of people who welcome refugees who are fleeing their countries for whatever reason and move to Charlotte, right? They arrive here and they help them survive. Could you imagine going to another country and you don't speak the language, right, and, and, and don't know the culture? Like, where do my kids go to school? Where do I get a place to live? How do I go to the grocery store? How do I get a bank account? How, how do I speak the language, right? All those things, RSS helps people get settled to survive and then to thrive. Right? So it says, welcome to Charlotte. God loves you. We love you. And we're going to help you. Right? So what's a refugee? This is what a refugee is. Someone who's unable or unwilling to return to their own country of origin, they have to leave because of a well-founded fear of being persecuted for reasons of race, religion, nationality, membership in a particular social group, or a political opinion. They don't have a choice. They have to leave. Or they could get harmed. They could die. Right? They have to leave their country. They don't want to leave their country, but they have to leave their country. And when they land here, they're lost. And so RSS says, we're going to help you find your way. Here's a short video that talks about what this organization does. Check this out. In many ways, people all over the world are just the same. Sure, we wear different clothes, live in different kinds of houses, and subscribe to different faith traditions. We are different colors, shapes, and sizes. But even with all of those things that make us different, there are so many more things that make us the same. We discuss politics and worry about money and wonder what's for dinner. We love our children. We want to be happy and safe and free. But in many countries around the globe, being happy and safe and free is not possible. Because of violence, racism, religious persecution, or war, many people are forced to leave their home countries. They are moved into refugee camps in countries that border their own. Often, these displaced people live in these camps for years. But sometimes, they are granted what is called refugee status by the United Nations, and then they are sent to live in another country. The United States is one of these countries that takes in refugees every year. They arrive in Charlotte with very little, uncertain of their future and often overwhelmed. Some speak English, most do not. What they do bring is a wealth of culture and unique skills to our communities, as well as a desire to create a new home in North Carolina. The first day, when I arrived in Carolina, I was, was very, very surprised. I see many, many things that I didn't see in my country. When I came here in 2001, they said like open checking account and uh, saving account. I don't know about that because in Vietnam, we have no uh, bank account. 
There's lots of families that want to advocate for themselves, but they don't know where to get started. So we give them a place to get started and a place to ask questions. And we help develop a sense of community and a sense of belonging. A lot of times there is no one else. So a place like the center allows them a safe place to get the help and to get guidance to next steps in their journey. It nous aide en beaucoup d'histoires. It nous aide pour ouvrir des comptes bancaires. It nous aide pour nous donner des vêtements, pour nous donner à manger. C'est une très 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 bonne agence. I'm I very like in North Carolina. I come this like my home. Yeah. So what Refugee Support Services does, RSS, they're pretty much mentors. Debbie, can you show that stat slide of how many people that they helped last year in 2020? Over 635 participants in 20 countries of origin with 31 preferred languages, right? So they making a difference. And they're welcoming people, most recently from Afghanistan. And if you've been watching the news, you know that many people are fleeing their own country, Afghanistan, because the Taliban have taken over since the Americans have left. And many of the Afghans are, are leaving because it's not a safe place for them to be. And I was reading some of their stories this week about how and why they fled. I read about a, a father who's married and had three small children. And he worked with the American government when he was, they were in Afghanistan. Now that the government's gone, there's a death threat on his head. And so he and his family had to leave Afghanistan. And when they were leaving, one of their small children was so sick that they wouldn't let him out of the border. So he had to leave the son with the grandparents and the dad and the mom and the two kids had to leave. And so they had to leave for their lives. And now they're trying to get their other son and parents out of the country. I was reading about a, a young lady who's 23 years old, and she's studying in a university there. And uh, now that the Taliban take over, women can't study. They can't work. They, they can't do anything like that. And so some of her family also worked for the Americans. And so she had to flee not only for safety, but also so that she could continue her studies and contribute to society and work like she believes God's calling her to work. And then I read about this man who lived in the northern part of Afghanistan. He was a farmer, and, and his whole village had to leave because they're of a, of a certain ethnic group. They're like the third largest ethnic group in Afghanistan. And, and they're Shia Muslims, and the Sunnis are more prevalent, and the Shias are the minority. And so they were ethnically and religiously persecuted. They had to leave their village. They sent about five people, six people back to the village to see if the Taliban had left because they didn't have any food. They, the Taliban caught those six people, and they tortured them, and they killed them. They shot them multiple times to make sure they, they wouldn't die, that they would suffer from their bullet wounds before they killed them. They, they got one guy, and they sliced off his arm muscles with a knife, and they strangled him with his own scarf. That's why people are coming to our nation, because they're not welcome in their nation. They're not just welcome. It's dangerous for them to be. They will die. They will torch. They've got to get their kids a different way. And when they come here, RSS says, we're glad you're here. How can we help you? Let us mentor you. Let us help you. And I think that giving to this year's Christmas Eve offering is going to be really special to Jesus because if you remember, right after he was born, Jesus became a refugee. King Herod of Israel 
thought that Jesus was a threat to him and put a death sentence on his head. And he killed all the, the boys in, in Bethlehem, age two and under. And Joseph and Mary and Jesus just got out. And they went down to Egypt. It's another country, right? They speak a different language. They have a different culture. Sometimes Egypt liked Israel. Sometimes they didn't like them. And so our Lord and Savior was a refugee. And there's some people like, well, we need to close the borders and keep people out, right? Jesus Christ was a refugee. And I think it'll be a great birthday present to him to say, we're going to take care of the refugees that you're sending to our city. Brothers and sisters, the journey is not just about where you go. It's who you travel with. Who are your Elizabeths? Who are your Marys? And this Christmas Eve, will you consider letting those who are coming into our city to be the Marys that Jesus has sent to us and that we would give Jesus a refugee a birthday present by welcoming them. The journey is not about just about where you go. It's about who you travel with. Who are you traveling with? Who's your Elizabeth? Who's your Mary? And who is God calling you to reach? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.